Uh, it is my great honor and privilege to introduce to you uh, the Reverend Dr. Todd Brewer. Uh, Todd went to seminary at Trinity School for Ministry and holds his doctorate from the University of Durham in England. And he and his wife Kelly live in New York City in Manhattan where he teaches New Testament at General Theological Seminary. And uh, we thought it would be fun to have his dad preach Monday and Tuesday. And now he is with us uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And at the end of it, we're actually going to have you vote as to who you like better. Uh, and uh, cash prize, cash prize. So uh, it's really great. And in fact, uh, Bishop Brewer is still with us. So uh, to put a little more pressure on you. So uh, it's great to have you here, Todd. It's, uh, it's, we've been looking forward to it. Uh, Friday, uh, we have Tal Prince from Birmingham, Alabama here. He used to work over at Beeson Divinity School. He'll be our preacher on Friday. Dr. Brewer will preach after we stand and sing hymn number 645, verses 1 through 4. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before I begin, I would just like to say how great it is to be here. I have known and heard and admired the Advent for many years now, um, both from my time in seminary onwards, and it is uh, a mini... Uh, realization of a dream in some sorts to preach here of all places. So thank you so much, Andrew, for inviting me, and I uh, hope I don't uh, screw it up. <laughs> so the text I have selected is Matthew 18, verses 10 to 14. So let me read that, and then we'll begin. Jesus said, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. There is a a little hilarity to preaching on this parable and on any parable for me. I did my uh, PhD thesis talking about parable interpretation. And so there is, in addition to supposedly being the world expert on parables, kidding, um, uh, there is a a temptation to, uh, when you preach on on a parable, to give everything you have, right? So if I end up going on a long tangent about how John Dominic Crossan may or may not be all that good or anything along those lines. Could you just raise your hand or, um, or just ever so discreetly fall asleep um, or yawn very, very pronounceably? And then I'll know I'm sort of being too uh, teacherly and less sermonly. So the parable is about a shepherd and the sheep 
one goes away. And it falls within a wider discourse about how do you treat little ones, these little ones who fall away, uh, these little ones who are uh, led into apostasy. And the reasons for why the sheep of our parable might have wandered off take any number of forms corresponding to the myriad of reasons why people lose faith in general. Perhaps the sheep lingered too long at a watering hole, or perhaps the sheep decided it didn't need the shepherd anymore. Perhaps the sheep is so overtaken by forces beyond its control that she found herself in a strange land eating from a pig trough with no hope of returning. There is a certain frailty to our life of faith, of going astray. I don't know about you, but how I'm doing at any given moment, how frequent my prayer life is, how often I crack the binding of my Bible, or more tangibly, just how friendly I am to strangers and friends alike, is so often dependent upon the vacillation of circumstances. If I don't have my coffee, uh, immediately within, we'll say, a half hour of waking up, my day is ruined. Um, This morning, uh, um, people in in Birmingham are so friendly, and it's wonderful. It's so much not like New York City uh, in that way. But I I, I had gotten my coffee, and I, I walked downstairs, and I sat outside in this gorgeous weather, and sitting, drinking my coffee, and a woman started, um, you know, being friendly and saying, where are you from? And I'm from New York. Where are you from? I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, isn't that great? I've been there once. Um, but there was about halfway through the conversation, I, I had the very tangible realization that my cup was still full. And I thought, I need more coffee. <laughs> um, she is far too chipper at 7 in the morning. Um, there... Sometimes life and our attitudes, our feelings about God, are, um, are wrecked, shipwrecked by big things, right? Um, it's not as small and tedious as whether or not you've had coffee. Uh, it's big things, right? It's an unexpected uh, death. It's your teenage son or daughter who has been checked into a certain facility or some major transgression in your life which has upended everything you know and love. But more often than not, or at least the daily grind of life, it's something small. It's a stress. It's an anxiety. It has to do with work. Perhaps you're afraid. People who you love are not, are having trouble. Or some major disappointment has happened. See, life happens ever so incrementally, and the fire of faith is lost, and God feels increasingly distant without you really often knowing it. Just as the sheep in our parable wanders off, good sheep keep with the flock. It's hard to miss 99 sheep, but somehow, some way, the sheep finds its way away. As one person wrote, the path of one's light is straight, life is straight, 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 until the moment when it isn't anymore. And after that, it begins to meander around aimlessly, 
and then get tangled. And then at some point, the path gets so confusing that one's ability to move around in time, his or her device for, for conveyance, their memory of what they love, the engine that moves them forward, it can break. And he or she can get permanently stuck in their own history. There is a frailty to our life of faith. If Seneca writes that death is everywhere near at hand, or the abyss into which everything slips, then it should not be a surprise that sheep wander and become lost. For everywhere, the ubiquity of death threatens our faith in a God who was resurrected and gives life to our mortal bodies. The lost sheep is not some other person as much as it's you and it's me. As the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Paul repeatedly exhorts his congregations to hold fast or stand firm in their faith, not because of the constant threat of persecution, which in some instances that is the case, but more truly because of the precarious nature of faith in a world which is marked by death. But what is striking in this parable is not that is is that it's not really concerned at all with why the sheep has strayed. It's just simply said, it goes astray. And the ambiguity of this description suggests that the seemingly insignificant fact is unimportant. It does not matter why the sheep became lost in the first place. If it were, if it describes in detail what happened to the sheep, then this parable really would be a parable about correcting your bad habits or not losing sight of what's important or some other tangible thing you can do to hold on to this precarious faith of yours, this thing you believe. You know, the drill, buck up, try harder. You wandered before, you better make sure it doesn't happen again. Instead, this parable is not concerned with how people fall away or who is to blame, just as the fate in the little ones in the preceding passage is ambiguously, ambiguously sorry, attributed to either their actions or that of others. Do not cause one of these little ones to fall away. It's always important to note when reading parables as an aside, what isn't being said. Uh, often we want to fill in the gaps for a realism. Uh, you know, we want it to be a coherent story. But often the things that are left vague or unexplained are in fact part of the point. The absence is perhaps more significant than trying to fill in the gap of realism. If any explanation is offered as to why the sheep strays, it is simply the fact that it is a sheep. And wandering away is what sheep tend to do. Instead, the parable is concerned with what God does. To return the lost to the fold, to restore the fold to wholeness, as 99 sheep become 100 again. The actions of the shepherd are viewed by the parable to be obvious. Who of you, having 100 sheep, does not go after the one? This is a question which begs a positive answer. Of course you would. 
And we can speculate why this might be, but it doesn't matter. The parable believes and understands that this is the imperative of the shepherd to find the sheep, just as God must and does tirelessly search for those of us who go astray because this sheep is so precious to God. It is the will of the Father that not one of these little ones be lost. It is the will of the Father to resurrect those who are dead. A lost sheep tends to die without the protection of a shepherd. You actually never find packs of wild sheep roaming the countryside. That was a funny line. So what kind of God is this shepherd? God is a good shepherd who pursues and rescues the lost sheep. The solution to the otherwise unsolvable quandary of our life must come by way of rescue. That within our blindness and inability to grasp at life from outside of ourselves must come and liberate us from our wanderings. Left to ourselves, we are left grasping at whatever readily is available to us. And in this closed-loop system, we will inevitably not find the answer we seek, not find the life that we want. Something or someone must come from the beyond to rescue us. In this way, the practice of God exists outside the bounds of measures of worth or a cycle of quid pro quo. As the parable says, the shepherd rejoices over the lost sheep more than the 99, which is to say that God is a God who rescues his children no matter what. No matter what measure of worth may be used, no matter what notions of quid pro quo we might have about how God deals with, our, with his people, ours is a God whose very being is defined by the rescue of those who are wayward. As Karl Barth has said, in Jesus Christ... God chooses fellowship with those whose name is at best Peter, Peter, and at worst Judas. This this shepherd of a God drops everything and pursues the lost, perhaps even before the sheep seems to recognize itself to be lost. Notice the imagery used here. The shepherd is doing his daily count of sheep. So that the restoration of the one does not depend on the sheep's ability to turn or repent or even muster up some semblance of contrition. This is told from the perspective of the shepherd and what the shepherd is doing. What is the sheep doing? The sheep is getting itself lost. (laughs) The sheep is doing exactly the opposite of what it should be doing. No matter what measure is of our sorrow. It is not of any concern, but rather the measure of God's mercy. It is not the measure of our own agency or will to turn to God, but on God's agency and will to save. It is not the measure of our virtues or getting it right, but the measure of God's determination to bring us back from the dead. 
What is true of God, then, is also, or should be, true of the practice of the church. Actually, the whole purpose of this parable is for the benefit of the disciples to whom Jesus speaks. The activity of the shepherd of the parable is held up as an illustration of God's concern and care for those who are lost so that the disciples can then mirror and enact God's desire to rescue. The whole point is do not despise those who go astray. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always before the face of my Father who is in heaven. This exhortation is in fact Jesus' vision for a church who serves this rescuing shepherd God. So that while we may want, we may want to rigorously define the in crowd and the out crowd, the cool kids, the not so cool kids who is respectable, who is not, who is worthy, and who is not. Such a distinction is not of God. For God is in the business of salvation. God does not despise the lost, but always ever searches for us, you, me, his sheep. No matter how far we may have wandered, As we say in the confession, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Amen.